Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning again, and uh, also good morning to all of you who are with us online, worshiping from many different locations today. And hello to all of you who are watching this on demand later in the week because you love golf more than the Lord. Um, I didn't mean that, but if you did choose the PGA over worship, that's going to be noted in your attendance records. And also, those of you who are watching on demand because you're at the Ironman right now, uh, my sister-in-law is on a bike. She had a successful swim. Now she's on the bike and uh, has a marathon coming up. No big deal. Um, I used to run. <laughs> That's it. And then I realized it's just not a good idea. So she and I have had good talks about it. But anyway, today we begin a 15-week series with a book of Romans. Yes, 15 weeks in this text. I looked back in my emails this morning and searched to see when did Dave Brown send the first message about starting this project. February 7th is when we began preparations for this 15-week series in Romans. We're so excited to give you this resource to accompany our walk through Romans this summer, 188 pages, 60,378 words, and 35 different theological, pastoral, and devotional entries written by, and I want to thank, 29 different authors who are on our staff or members of this church Thank you for your dedication to this project. Thank you to our five meticulous editors for all of your edits and corrections and for teaching me once again how to correctly use a comma. Thank you to Redeemer member Brandon Ash for your outstanding design work. And I especially want to thank our two project managers, our editors-in-chief, the ones who absolutely made this project happen. I had the painful privilege of being the editor-in-chief for our Acts, John, and Psalms studies the last three summers. Thank you so much to these two (laughs) for taking on this impossible task. Our adult discipleship pastor, Dave Brown, and worship and discipleship coordinator, Allison Myers. I just want you to put your hands together and honor them. And they're both in this service. Would you stand? (laughs) Truly outstanding work. I've witnessed them work tirelessly and wrestle for hours with the book of Romans. For months, Dave called this process a marathon. And I know he needs a break from Romans. Too bad he's preaching a third of the series. (laughs) Um, One more thing about this book. 
I'd like to read a few instructions directly from page seven for you today under the heading, How to Use This Book. It'll be on the screen for you to see. Our desire is that you would read the designated section for yourself in Scripture first. Say that with me. In Scripture first. Say it again with me. In Scripture first. And then read the three entries that correspond to that Scripture, theological, pastoral, and devotional. At the end of the three entries, there's a space for you to write any reflections, questions, or thoughts that you had on the text. This is awesome, and it is not to replace your Bible. We want you to read your Bible first. In fact, if you only have 10 minutes to read in the morning, don't read this. Read the Bible first. Nod your head with me, and let me know that you're with me right now. You're going to read the Bible before you pick up this resource. Okay, let the journey begin. Romans. Although... I'm not starting the series by teaching Romans. Turn to Acts chapter 9. Isn't that great? Saul, I'm preaching an introductory message for you today. Saul was born in Tarsus. His circumcision on the eighth day suggests that his parents were law-abiding Jews. He grew up in a school of Torah interpretation where he acquired extraordinary knowledge of the scriptures. We read that he was a son of a Pharisee, Acts 23, 6. And that he identified as one too, Acts 26, 5. And he became a zealous follower of Yahweh and of the law, the Torah. As the Jesus movement blossomed, Saul was also zealous to protect the Jewish tradition. He would have pulled out all the stops, including mob violence, in order to obliterate these new Jesus groups. He stood nearby and watched as Stephen was martyred and consented with this murder. Acts chapter 7. He entered houses, dragging away men and women, taking them to prison. Acts chapter 8. He was a violent aggressor. 1 Timothy 1. Beating Christians and voting in favor of them to be thrown into prison. Acts 26. He admittedly persecuted the church And we read in Galatians 1, beyond measure, trying to destroy it. This wasn't just a voice on the side that was hindering the Christian movement. He was trying to stop it. And he was willing to see Christians put to death in order to stop this new movement known as the way. Look what happened next. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22. Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. 
So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he's blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I love this part of the story, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Don't you love this? Immediately, this at once. Paul was already on mission. Verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. What a powerful testimony. Quickly, let's touch on the name change from Saul to Paul because it's commonly linked to this Damascus road experience, right? He's out there on the road. He experiences Jesus. Name changes. However, Jesus continued to refer to him as Saul. We read that Saul, not Paul, but Saul continued to increase in spiritual strength. So when did the actual name change take place? It kind of didn't because Saul's name was also Paul. These dual names were common in his day, so he had his Hebrew name, Saul, and his Roman name, Paul. He was a dual citizen. The name change, though, in the text we see is in Acts 13, 9, where we read that Saul, who was also called Paul, and from that point on in Scripture, Saul is referred to as Paul. Two very brief things to mention, possibilities as to why this name change happened at this time. One, as his mission launched into a Gentile world, a Roman name would be better received than a Hebrew name. But two, he would have been anticipating being on the receiving end of persecution, so going by his Roman name would remind the authorities of his Roman citizenship. 
meaning that he had rights and he could not be treated as a foreigner. But what matters more than this is that a determined opponent of the way experienced the way, Jesus Christ, and as a result, the most unlikely convert began to share the very message that he had sought to silence. Paul became the chief theologian of the church, there the early church, but also the global church throughout history, the chief theologian of the New Testament era. Just listen to what a few historical giants in Christian theology have said about Paul. After reading Romans, St. Augustine said, a light infiltrated my heart and the darkness of my doubts dissipated. Martin Luther credits Paul's writings as the key to understanding the gospel message. Charles Spurgeon claimed to have sought to emulate the preaching style of Paul. James Dunn called Paul the greatest theologian the world has ever known. Billy Graham wrote that Paul's words cut like a sharp sword across our way of life. And New Testament scholar N.T. Wright said, wherever St. Paul went, there was a riot. Wherever I go, they just serve tea. (laughs) That was funny. I said, wherever St. Paul went, there was a riot. Wherever I go, they serve tea. Thank you. Of the 27 books in the New Testament, 13 are attributed to Paul. Half of the book of Acts gives details about his life and his ministry. But on top of his preaching and writing, Paul is the foundation of missiology. Raymond Brown gives us a picture of what Paul's journeys would have entailed. And it is important for us to know what Paul's journeys would have entailed as we read about these journeys. Paul was an itinerant artisan who would have had to struggle to get money for food. Horseback travel was difficult. And Paul would not even have been able or willing to spend money for a donkey to carry his baggage. I've actually traveled through the Himalayan mountains with our our luggage on the back of a donkey. Without the donkey, we would have just been able to carry a small bag. So that's likely all that Paul had. So we have to picture Paul trudging along the roads, carrying his limited possessions in a sack at the maximum, covering 20 miles a day. Often, he had to sleep somewhere near the road amidst the cold rain and snow. As a poor man, he would have been easily victimized by bandits, especially in country areas that were less efficiently controlled by police. And I love this last phrase of this quote by Raymond Brown, as if all of his journeys on land were not dangerous enough. He writes, sea journeys were not much safer. Paul knew that he was called, as we honored our brother Jeff, who who came and shared with us, I'm called by God to serve in Guatemala. Paul knew he was called to preach the message of Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.2. Paul knew he was called chiefly to the polytheist, those who worshipped 
other gods. Romans 1, 14. Paul knew he was called to reach as many people as possible. Romans 15, 19. That's why Paul was on the move. He was always going. He was taking the gospel to new places where the gospel had not been heard yet. Paul knew he was called to lead people to believe in one true God in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as Lord, as Savior. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9. And Paul knew he was called to establish new churches that followed the teachings of Jesus. Colossians 1, 25. If you study the life of Paul, if you look at his journeys in the New Testament, you're going to see that he faced a lot of persecution, a lot of resistance to his ministry. But what stopped him? Nothing. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 10, he says, look, nothing's going to stop us on our mission. Verse 4, rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor, yet making many rich, having nothing, and yet possessing everything. Because Paul was so driven, because Paul was so committed, because Paul was so certain, so sure, of his calling, because Paul was so resilient in the face of resistance, and because the love of Christ is long and wide and high and deep enough for all people, we have Romans. Romans 1, 1 through 6 tells us the reason, the purpose behind this text. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship. And here it is, right here. To call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. 
And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. One author writes, verse 5, let me read it again for you. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. Verse 5 is perhaps the most pregnant proposition in the entire letter. For it contains the seeds of Paul's entire spiritual life and ministry as a believer and an apostle. Paul's call in Romans is to the Gentile, which means to the entire world. John 3.16, for God so loved the Jew and the Gentile, the barbarian and the Scythian, the slave and the free, male and female, for God so loved the world. He weaves all people into this universal scope of the gospel. This message is for everyone. And he builds his case for going beyond Rome, beyond Spain, to the ends of the earth. For this reason we see in Romans 1 Verse 5, to call people from among all Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Welcome to our journey through Romans. And just because I was on a flight this week, I find it fitting to say and close in this way, we do anticipate this being a beautiful ride. But please do put your seat backs and tray tables in the upright position because it might also get a little bit bumpy. That's Romans. Excited to be on this journey with you. Would you stand to your feet and let's worship. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.